You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. in our series, 2020 Vision, 2020 Vision, developing and sharpening our vision spiritually, being able to see things as God sees them, and then saying things that God says. And we start with the things of God himself, what he says in his word about himself, his attributes and He's holy, he's high and lifted up, just like the songs we sang today and the prophecy that came forth today. He, he's exalted, amen. And so whatever the word says about him, that's what we believe. And then the next thing is we need to believe what God says about us, amen. And uh, sometimes we, we feed into the devil's lies of uh, what he says about us or what people say about us. What our neighbors say about us. What our boss says about us. What our relatives say about us. Amen? Amen. Come on. If a father or mother or parent says to their child over and over as they're growing up, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you're never going to amount to be anything. What do you think that kid's going to grow up feeling like? Like they're not going to grow up to be anything. Amen? And all their life, they may... Grow up with that kind of a thought. But that's a devil's lie. The enemy put that in those parents' mouths. (laughs) They may not know it, but for sure it came from the enemy. Because that is not what God thinks about you. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, in this uh, series, 2020 Vision. This is part four. And I'll ask the question today, how does God see you? How does God see you? That's what we're going to answer today. And uh, so let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our spiritual understanding. Give to me that uh, mighty anointing that is abiding in me right now. Lord, let it rise up within me and let the, the anointing of the Holy Ghost be our teacher in this place today. Prick our hearts, Lord. Bring us nearer to you than we've ever been before. Help us to know and understand what you think of us and to begin to believe it and act upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So first thing, how does God see mankind in general? And I know that uh, this might be preaching to the choir just for a second or two, but let's lay a foundation here. How does God see mankind in general? In six days, the Bible says that God created the earth and everything in it. And after each phase of his creation, the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. He created the light and the darkness. He created uh, the heavens. He created... uh, Uh, The the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, he created all of these things. And after each day, through six whole days, it says that God looked at those things and he saw that each of those was good. But on the sixth day, God did something very unique and different from all of his other creations up until that point. 
He formed. Everybody say formed. He formed man from the dust of the earth. Everything else he spoke into existence and he created by his spoken word. But uh, in the, that, on that sixth day, it says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth. Then he breathed into them the breath of life and man became a living soul, the Bible says. In other words, an eternal spirit being. There was no turning back from the point in time that God created man. He created him to be a spirit being and an eternal being. Amen. From that very day on, not only Adam, but all of his offspring, including you and I, have been created to be an eternal being. Then God said that it was not a good thing for the man to be alone, so he made a woman to be his companion. And they became husband and wife. They became as one. And so the two of them were to enjoy unbroken fellowship and intimacy with God in a beautiful paradise called Eden. And this was to be their life going forward. This is how God created them. Uh, but through their disobedience, that spiritual part of their intimacy with God uh, was broken and severed. And the curse of sin that had fallen upon them and their children after them, along with the entire world and the entire earth, we see that in the world today. The curse of sin has been upon the earth. But immediately after they sinned and after God revealed to them their sin and after they tried to cover up their sin, uh, God immediately spoke to them and made a promise to not only Adam and Eve, but to all of mankind. But he spoke it to them because they were the first. They were our parents. They were our first uh, parents. All of us go back to Adam and Eve. From that point on, we have different tribes and kindred and nations and ethnicities and all of that. But every one of us go right back to Adam and Eve. So every person that you see out on the street, you are related to in a sense. Okay? In humankind, in humanity. But God has another family that he has brought about. And that's through Jesus Christ. But he immediately gave to them a promise that he would one day send a remedy for this curse of sin. And that was to send his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us from our sins. Amen. Now, since all have happened, there are only two kinds of people on the earth. Those who are born again and have received the gift of salvation through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and who are on their way to heaven. That's one group of people. And then there are those who have not been born again and the wrath of God, the Bible says, is upon their lives. That's it. You can separate everybody in the world by those two categories. The saved and the unsaved. The believer and the unbeliever. And we can break down all kinds of categories from that point on. But that's the basics of who is in the earth today. Believers and unbelievers. Amen. So how... 
how God sees the unsaved or the unconverted. Let's look at that first, because we're just going to talk about those two groups and eventually get to how God sees you. Amen. So this second group that I had mentioned here, uh, they have broken God's laws. And we could, we could go scripture after scripture after scripture, but we don't have the time today to, to go through every single scripture. But just let me point out a couple of them. And God spoke these things to his people Israel when they, whenever they would backslide and get away from him. Uh, he would say that they broke his law. The same thing is happening today. People are breaking the laws of God. Amen. And that's called sin. So in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 13, the King James uh, Bible says this, And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein. Amen. They have not walked in my ways. They have broken my law. So this is the condition that we are in even now today. We have broken the laws of God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 7 through 8 gives us another little uh, look at the condition of man. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah there, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, everybody in the world thinks today that God just hears their prayers. God may hear their voice, but he's not hearing their heart. He's not hearing them pray from their hearts. He said, uh, I will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for the truth. There are a lot of people today who are running around in the world calling out for justice from their lips out. They're saying justice, justice, justice. But they really don't want justice. They don't want God's justice. They want their way. They want their way, and they think that their way would be justice. But God says in his word, there's none that are really truly from their hearts calling for justice, nor any pleadeth for the truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies, conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. And then if you drop down to verse 7, it continues there and it says, Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. There's no more innocent blood than the 60-some million babies that we have slaughtered in this nation alone. Amen. I know that I say that a lot of times, but church, I believe that's the, that is the one sin, the one national sin that, that would keep us from any other blessing from the Lord. Once we've cut off life that has been made and created in the image of God, we are slapping him in the face and we're saying the image of God is not really all that important. He says they make haste to shed innocent blood. They're in a hurry. They're quick to shed innocent blood. We've gone so far now in this country that not only abortions in their earlier terms, but then it came late term, and then it became all the way up to the very last day. And now they're even satisfied with allowing the baby to actually be born and then go talk it over with the parents whether they should allow that baby to continue to live or not. What a sick nation! What a sick society we, we have become. And for preachers not to every now and then, at the very least, right. hammer on that. Shame on those preachers. 
I'm not here to tickle your ears. If I was here to tickle your ears, this place would be packed. Because that's what's going on in a lot of places. People are having their ears tickled and itched. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not. And there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Amen. That's the condition of those who are the lost. Those who are the unsaved. Those who are the unbelievers in this world. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning that we have all sinned. We've all broken God's laws right from Adam on. Adam broke God's laws and Eve. Their sons and their children after them broke God's laws. The Israelites were given God's laws in in a commandment form on, on, on tables of stone. And they broke every one of them. And from that day to this very day, mankind is continuing to break God's laws. And they don't even realize that that's what's keeping them separated from God. But man could not, could not keep and fulfill all the law of God because God is perfect and holy. So we needed a sacrificial offering, his son, to come and be the fulfillment of the law on our behalf and to take our sins upon himself. John chapter 3, verse 36, the Lord Jesus said these words. Now, this is what Jesus said. It's not what Pastor Mike said. I'm just reading from the Bible. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. That's what the Bible says. That's what God thinks of those who break his law and who are unrepentant towards him for their sins. So the next thing that I want to hit on today is how God sees those who have been born again. And again, we have a whole uh, bunch of scriptures, even in the New Testament, uh, from the time of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, and all of those things that uh, we read of in the New Testament. We could have plenty of scriptures to go through today, but just let's touch on a couple of them. The first one is that he sees you, if you are one of those believers, if you are one of those born-again people, and if you're not, you can get that way before you leave today. And just attending church does not make you a Christian. Somebody said it this way, attending church, going into a church building doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in a chicken coop makes you a chicken. How God sees those who have been born again. First, he sees you as a new creation. A new creation. What a wonderful thing. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Man. That means that that broken severance, uh, that severed relationship between Adam and Eve, 
God sent his son to die on the cross to forgive us for our sins, to pay the payment for our sins, and that if we will put our faith in him and believe in him, our sins can be blotted out and we could start all over again. In the spirit, with our new spirit, that eternal spirit, remember the eternal spirit that we talked about in the beginning? Your spirit is eternal. And it's going to spend eternity somewhere in heaven or in hell. Jesus laid that out. The apostles after him laid it out. The Old Testament lays that out. There's two places that we're going to end up. One of two places that we're going to end up at the end of this life. In heaven or in hell. And it's not so much the sins of commission. Have you ever heard that there are sins of omission? And sins of commission. Sins of commission are the sins that you commit against God's law and against God's word. Sins of commission. Then there are sins of omission, the things that we don't do or that we don't measure up to that God says that we ought to. But there's one, there's truly one sin that will send people to hell. It's not a sin of commission. It's a sin of omission. It's, it's, not, it's not, not our drunkenness. It's not our sexual sins. It's not all of those things. Those are all called sins in the word of God. And every one of those things, we are breaking God's law and sin is upon us for doing that, for sure. But that's not the sin that takes us to hell because all of those things can be forgiven. Thank God. Come on, somebody say thank God in this place. I'm glad. I'm glad that those sins can be forgiven because I was every one of those things. And God has forgiven me. Amen. But that one sin would be the rejection of Christ, who God gave to the world for the sins of the world. Omission. Not coming to him. Not coming to him. Amen. But when we do come to him, he makes us a new creature. That spirit man becomes new. Brand new. You're not the same sinner that you used to be. Hey, come on now. If you're born again, you're not the same old sinner that you used to be. You no longer willfully sin against God. It's very, very intentional what I'm saying right there. You no longer willfully sin against God. Before I became a Christian, I willfully sinned against God. I may not have known and understood everything that there was to know about God, but trust me, I, I gave no regard to him. I didn't really care about him. I didn't care about his word. I was just going about to please my own sinful flesh. And I willfully sinned against him, but I no longer, because I've been made new in my heart, my spirit has been made new, I no longer willfully sin against God. Your outlook on the world has changed if you're one of those born-again people. Your outlook on the world has changed. I just mentioned abortion here just a, a few minutes ago. God knows that there are so many people sitting on church pews today, dear precious women of God, who have had abortions who have gone that lie of the enemy, gone that path. But God has brought about forgiveness to them. God has blotted out all of their iniquities, just like he's blotted out yours and mine. Amen. And a lot of times people don't realize that, but I, I've met girls uh, who, after they've been saved uh, for a little while, 
they, they would, you would still hear them say they're uh, pro-choice, pro-choice. And that would come out of their mouth a little bit until they really realized and they started to think it through and realized, no, that was sin. What I did was sin. And, and now their worldview has changed. Their view of the world has changed. Their view of creation now has changed in their mind. That's what happens when you get born again. That's what the scripture is saying. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are new. Your desires have changed. The things you used to love, you now despise. The things you used to despise, you now love. When you were living in sin, how often did you have a desire to come into God's house and lift holy hands in the sanctuary and worship him? Come on, none of us had that desire. You might have shown up at Easter or Christmas, C&E Christians. But you had no desire to come in and lift your, your hands unto the Lord and sing praises to him. Amen. The thought of that, you would say it was something that you despised or turned away from or something that you really didn't want any part of. Partying. Now that's a different thing. Wow, oh, that's what we really wanted to do. The Bible calls that revelings, debauchery, sinful activities. And so when our mind is changed, our station in life changes, our perspective of the world changes, and we are born again. Amen. New creatures. These are all indicators that you have been born again. Number two. God sees you as having been saved by grace and not by your performance. Important. Important for all of that to know. All of us to know. As the prophecy that came forth today says you stumble, you fall, <laughs> you, you crawl, but I'm right there for you. Why? Because his grace is carrying you through. His grace picks you up. It's not about your performance. It's not about going down the checklist and says, oh Lord, out of 52 weeks, I made 51 Sundays to church. And that one Sunday I was sick. You know, I was in bed. Church attendance. Oh, I bring my tithes and my offerings into the house of God every week. Lord, you know I do. And then if it doesn't look right at the end of the year, I catch up to make sure that I've given a, a, a 10%. Check that off. And Lord, you know I help little old ladies across the street. And Lord, you know I give food to the hungry. And Lord, you know I do this. And Lord, you know I do that. And we start stacking up all of these good works, but they don't really mean anything. As far as getting you into heaven. It's grace. It's mercy. And you're still not measuring up. <laughs> Even though you're a Christian, you're still not measuring up. It's not according to your performance. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have no boast. We have nothing that we should be able to, uh, to get prideful or cocky about and say, I'm going to heaven because of fill in the blanks, whatever it is, because of what I have done. No, 
You're going to go because of what he has done on Calvary's cross and the fact that you have accepted the grace of God. How wonderful is that grace? How wonderful is that mercy? Amen. That it's not based upon my performance. So God calls us unto good works. God calls us unto acts of righteousness. God calls us uh, to live holy as he is holy. God does call us to that. But as I said earlier, our desire is not to willfully sin against God. But when we blow it, we still have grace that covers us. Amen. As a Christian, you may still give in to the lusts of your flesh which is to sin. When we do that, it's called sin. But we still, sometimes, we give in to the lusts of our flesh. But the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. In other words, don't practice sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that you're not supposed to practice sin any longer. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John is talking to Christian people. This is a letter to Christians, not a letter to the heathen. It's a letter to Christians. Don't sin any longer. Don't live a life of sin. Don't follow the lust of your flesh and the dictates of your lustful flesh. Put an end to that. Say no to those desires. But if you do sin, and if you do fall short, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Number three, God sees you as his sons and daughters. Wow, wow, wow. Isn't that awesome? Not only are you born again, not only are you different, not only has he changed your spirit and renewed your spirit, but he actually calls you his sons and his daughters. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that someone said that that's an affectionate uh, term as if we would say, Daddy, Daddy, or Papa, Papa. I remember Jeremiah when he was a kiddo, he used to call me daddy. Daddy, daddy. It was so cute. And when he was nine years old, he was still saying, daddy, daddy. And I'm thinking, man, this kid's going to be 16 years old. We're going to be out somewhere and he's going to go, daddy. <laughs> and I'm going to go, that just doesn't fit anymore. You know, you think as they grow up, they say, hey, dad, you know, but, uh, but people, uh, a lot of people even, uh, I know people that are Southerners that call their dad, daddy, daddy. And they're, they're older, they're 60 years old, and they call their dad, daddy. But that's, a, that's an expression of love and affection. And that's what God says that he's brought us into, to being his sons and daughters, so that we could cry out from our hearts, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, Amen. And now, because you are a part of the family, you're also included in the will. Wow. Hey, that's pretty good. I don't know where you came from, and I don't know what your parents had, if they left you anything. My mom and dad didn't have 
uh, two slices of bread to, to butter. So we didn't get a great inheritance when my mom and dad passed away. But because God has made you, believer, born again one, because he has made you a part of his family and allowed you to call him your father, you've also been in, included in the inheritance. Amen. Number four, God sees you as joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. Romans eight seventeen. And if you are children, then you are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also may be also glorified together. Amen. So we have an inheritance with God forever and ever. No, no one can take this away from you either. Isn't that cool? You know, sometimes people have been left an inheritance and somebody in the family hires a shyster lawyer and they come against the other family members. And, and I've seen this being in the ministry. I've done a lot of funerals. And some of the ugliest things in the family will show up all of a sudden at a funeral. You never knew they were there over all of the years. And then all of a sudden, that's my lamp. Mom would have wanted me to have that lamp. And boy, oh boy, they'll fight over it, you know. But there are some that uh, have been left an inheritance. And it's spelled out in the will how it's supposed to go. But somebody says, ah, that ain't right. And they come against it and they cause a lawsuit and a lot of, lot of uh, chaos and confusion over the whole thing. And try to take it right away. Ill-gotten gain doesn't last long, the proverb says. So if you get it in an ill way and in an uh, illegal manner before God... It's not going to be any good anyway. What, what good would it be if you had the entire world and lose your own soul? That's what Jesus said. Not worth it. Amen. So the lamp you might be attached to, but when mom goes, you need to understand it's a material thing. And it's not something that you should become so bitter about toward your brother or your sister that you take that to your grave. That's what people do. And God condemns that very bitterness as well. Amen. <clears throat> so you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Then number five, God sees you as an overcomer. He sees you, Sherry, as an overcomer. He sees you, Brian, as an overcomer. Amy, he sees you as an overcomer. See, we got to start thinking of ourselves in those terms because this is how God sees us. This is what God says about us. And if this is what God says about us, who are we? To say that we're anything different. We are exactly what he says about us. Amen. And he says that we're overcomers. John 16, Jesus said these words, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. There's one of the promises of God right there. You know, a lot of times we say, Well, we're going to hold fast to the promises of God. I got one right, for you, right here for you. In the world you shall have tribulation. That's a promise. Given to us 
by Jesus himself. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And what are you saying there? Because I have overcome the world, you too will overcome the world. I have been given authority by my Father. I am passing that authority on to you. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And he has given to us authority in his name. And he says, yeah, tribulation will come your way. Trials will come your way. But I have overcome. And because I have overcome, you too shall overcome. Yes, you will face difficulties, but you will overcome. Yes, you will have setbacks along the way, but you will overcome. Yes, you will have some temptations, but you will overcome. Amen. That's his promise to us. Amen. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, Paul speaks there. And Paul went through a lot of things in his life. I can't even imagine going through some of the things that he faced for the sake of the gospel. I mean, he was beat up. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was hated by his own countrymen. He, you know, traps were set for him. All kinds of things that he did for the sake of Christ. But this is what he says in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Through all of these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. You know, if he just wrote those things as a poet... Uh, just finding words that kind of rhymed and went along together with each other and interconnected and made for a nice little speech, nice little litany of things that shall not separate us from the love of God. But he didn't write it as a poet. He wrote it as a prophet, as an apostle, as a man preaching the gospel who did go through all of these things. And none of those things were able to separate him from the love of God. Why? Because God made him more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Amen. I like Jerry uh, Seville's interpretation of that. I think it was Jerry Seville years ago. He said, being more than a conqueror is like, is like the prize fighter who goes into the ring and gets his ears pounded in and, and goes through the whole fight and then eventually defeats the, his, his opponent and comes out holding up the belt and bringing home the purse. He's a conqueror. But when his wife is there meeting him at the door as he brings in the purse, she, she's more than a conqueror. <laughs> she's more than a conqueror. She didn't have to take that beating. And that's what Jesus did for you. He took your sins upon the cross. And because of what he did for you, you are more than a conqueror, more than an overcomer. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, some of you wives can say amen to that one. <laughs> I remember that old commercial. I don't remember what, what the brand was, but uh, I bring home the bacon and fry it in the pan or something like that. Remember? <laughs> what was it? He brings home the bacon and she fries it up in the pan, right? <laughs> Amen. So uh, some of you guys are bringing home the bacon and, and mama's taking good care of you, hopefully. Amen. She's more than an overcomer. And so are you. Number six, God sees you as his representative. And we're going to wrap this up with this one uh, today. And then we're going to go down and eat some chili, okay? But number six, God sees you as his representative. All of these things that we talked about, and we, like I said, there are so many other scriptures that could tell us that we are the redeemed, we've been re reconciled to God, uh, all of these wonderful things that we could have found a scripture for every one of them. But God sees you as his representative. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, uh, Paul speaking there, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or beg of you and plead with you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In other words, walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. You've been called to be a Christian. Christ's ones. Those who belong to Christ. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. Amen? Amen. So walk worthy, he says, of that manner in which you have been called. Walk, walk in a worthy manner of that calling. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't walk in darkness anymore. Get away from darkness. Don't have anything to do with it. Abstain from the very appearance of that which is evil. That's what the scripture says. And that's how we should live our lives. So he says, you were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk like children of light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and verse uh, uh, 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. God sees each and every one of us as his representatives in the earth. Amen. And I'll just end with this note. Let's be good representatives. Amen. Let's be good representatives of Christ's ones, those who belong to Christ. Only two kinds of people in the world, those who are believers and those who are not. Those who are saved and those who are not. I'm glad that I am among the redeemed of the Lord.